0: This is the When Life Happens podcast, the real podcast, all about helping real people overcome real life issues successfully. And since life never stops, let's get after it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the When Life Happens podcast. I'm your host, William Jackson, and I'm excited because we get another opportunity to live, learn and grow together, I believe That everybody has the opportunity to step fully into their purpose, their dreams, their destiny, and their goals if they just make the decision to be consistent and give it all that they have. And most recently, I did an interview on the Necessary Entrepreneur podcast. If you're interested in starting a business or opening anything of value, I challenge you to go follow them. Search them on all media outlets, The Necessary Entrepreneur. And it was an amazing interview. And I felt like it was necessary for me to share this interview with you. So many tools about how to select your friends, how to approach your relationships, how to approach a business, how to get the most out of life. You'll hear a lot about my story, about me having a stroke and being paralyzed and having to learn how to do everything over again and I know that this interview is going to impact your life so over the next few episodes we are going to listen to it in its entirety and I hope that you get something out of it without further ado let's get after it whatever my fear is I have to be able to face it and replace it I can't do anything if I'm running from fear I gotta run towards fear Every soldier who goes into battle, there's high propensity that there's a fear there, but I'm running into it because, one, either I have a why that supersedes the fear, but even if I don't, I got to get to the place where I know that whatever I'm afraid of, if I just run completely into it, the propensity is I'm going to come out successful on the other side.
1: I'm pumped about this man because yeah. I think the William Jackson's got something to say.
0: Listen, I came locked and loaded, both barrels. I like it. Yeah. So, um, William Jackson,
1: author, speaker, wife, coach—I call it. I don't know if you want to be called that or not, but yeah. you're a coach. Uh huh. Um, I don't know if guys like you like to say, "Hey, motivators and inspirational figures," and you can go to your website, the official. WilliamJackson.com, right? Yes, sir. Okay. You can go there, and, and there's a lot of things. That picture's looking good. The brand's looking good. Appreciate that. Yeah, and so, you know, we're going to talk about the book today, but I want to talk about everything that happened that caused that book to be written too, Oh, yeah.
0: Right? Yes, sir.
1: Um, I think Cincinnati's probably special because you're born and raised. Guys like you don't just – we don't just get lucky to have guys like you in the backyard. Oh, come on, come on. No, man. I'm serious, man. And um, so, this book that you wrote um, – when life happens, mm-hmm. there's got to be something. So I want to know if we're going to talk for two hours. Yeah. Um, I want to know what brought you here. Mm-hmm. What caused that book to be written? Yeah. And why are you the William Jackson?
0: So, well, me affectionately, I call myself uh, the Purpose Pusher. I push purpose because I believe that majority of people go to the grave without purpose ever being realized or materialized or ever fully stepped into. You know, I was one of those who, um, before, and I'll talk about what led up to the book, I was one of those who took moments for granted. You know, I always believed, okay, I, I, I can do that later. I'll have the next moment. Um, I don't have to maximize every single second because I just falsely had a sense of belief that I'll have the next one until I almost didn't so in 2000 I had a sinus infection spread to my brain fluid gathered on the right side of my brain and I start having these incredible headaches I'm talking about migraines on steroids I felt like when I blinked it felt like my head was going to explode I couldn't take deep breaths I was everything I couldn't have any lights on So, it took me a minute, even with all of those symptoms, to say, let me get to the hospital. So, I got to the hospital, walked into the ER, and as they were doing all the paperwork, I said, I need to go to the bathroom. Got up, went to the bathroom, and as I was coming out of the bathroom, I had a stroke because, and how I didn't even know it, but my left side was dragging. So, my limbs on my left side, my foot, my arms, and I was having a stroke in the emergency room. So, they rushed me in, and I uh, had a full stroke and was completely paralyzed on the left side of my body. They told me to smile only the right side of my face would move. They would prick my hand till it bled, wouldn't feel anything. So um, the prognosis was uh, we don't know what's wrong with him. He was healthy. There was no symptoms within the bloodline. This is just one of those freak scenarios where I can't really pinpoint it so much so that they literally had to fly a specialist in who was on vacation on a golf course. They flew him in to try to figure out what was going on with me. So, um, you know, the diagnosis was I was going to die at first because it was so severe. didn't know what was wrong with me. And then the specialist got in and they said, okay, we can sort of figure out what to do. It's going to take some brain surgery and you know, we'll, we'll sort of figure it out. Um, but he's probably not going to walk again. The stroke was that severe. He's probably going to live in an unresponsive state for the rest of his life. So, just prepare yourself. He's probably going to need round-the-clock care, and you know he's going to be in that state to where he's going to need somebody to take care of him for the rest of his life. So, you know, we go through this process. I'm paralyzed completely for about two months. Um, there's a scar over my eye. They put a tube in my head that went up like this. Um, and they would come in every three to four hours with a needle about this long. And they would stick into that tube and drain fluid off of my brain. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those type of situations I couldn't eat, so they had to feed me through a feeding tube, and I don't know if anybody's ever been fed through a feeding tube, but they don't put you to sleep for that. They just give you the feeding, give you a cup of water until you keep swallowing. They take the feeding tube and push it up your nose, down your throat. So I would, they would put the feeding tube in and then he, maybe a couple of days I would throw up and then they would have to do it all over again. So it was a consistent type of situation. I had tubes everywhere. Um, in my They had uh, IVs into my chest, down into my heart, trying to figure out all. So it, it was a crazy situation. So two brain surgeries later, um, I start getting back mobility in my limbs and my extremities. And, um, i never forget one of the most monumental days of my life was my first day of physical therapy. I go to physical therapy, and I'm excited because they said I can never walk again. I'm up. <clears throat> I'm ready to walk. I'm ready to tackle the world. So I get to physical therapy, and the physical therapist says, today we're going to practice buttoning a shirt. And I said, I know how to button a shirt. I've been paralyzed for two months. I'm trying to get up and walk. not here to button a shirt. She's like, no, we need to try to practice buttoning the shirt. I said, no, I'm ready to walk. I've been literally lying in the bed, paralyzed. Forget the shirt. I know how to do it. Let's walk. We argued for about 15 minutes. She said, okay, fine. You know what? I'm going to put this shirt on you, and if you could button this shirt, we'll try to walk. And she put the shirt on me. It was a jersey. And she put a jersey on me, and my hands wouldn't function. And at that moment, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And she said something to me that was so pivotal that I think so many people go through life not understanding. She said, you don't understand the amount of trauma and what you actually have been through. You don't understand the damage that's been done to you and how we have to rewire all of your internal wirings. Your internal mechanisms, because your brain knows how to do it, but everything that sends the signal down to your limbs and your extremities has to be rewired all over again. And I sat there and tears running down my face, and it was like, wow, because you could know how to do something, but to be limited to know it and to know that you had a history of doing it—how many times did I take for granted buttoning a shirt? We, we we never consider those moments to say okay i get up every morning and i get to button a shirt it's uh i put my shirt on it's time to go
1: what was your go to i don't want to get you off this my god yeah. what was your go to in that moment your go to thought when you realized that you can't button your shirt yeah and you're crying yeah where did your brain cuz that's the beginning of the evolution of you i'm assuming
0: oh yeah absolutely so in that moment I went through a myriad of thoughts, right? Cause you're sitting there, you're realizing the damage that's been done to you realize the the severity of your situation. But now it's almost a sense of motivation because one, they said I was going to die. I'm still here. They said I was never going to walk again and never have mo- m- mobility back in my limbs I can feel stuff I'm moving so we're moving in the right direction. So it's it's okay. I see what's happened and I see how difficult it it, uh, it has been and how difficult my situation and my my circumstances and my history and 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 everything the prognosis the diagnosis everything that's been before me said that I had no chance to win. But I'm seeing traces of small wins. So okay, cool, you said I wasn't gonna walk again. You said I wasn't gonna uh, live. You said I was gonna live in an unresponsive state. Okay.
1: So you're determined? Yes. Okay, was that determination, was it there as a kid?
0: Yeah, I was one of those who always thrived in places where I was challenged the most. You know, it was uh, funny. <laughs> I, If things were too easy for me, I really didn't apply myself. Because it was too easy, and I remember um, my mom tells a story about how uh, I wasn't doing my schoolwork, and you know she calls and, she, and they they say you know, um, Mrs. Jackson he he just won't do his work. He's so smart. He he knows it. He gets it, but he just won't do it. And she asked me. She said, "Why you won't do it?" I said, "Because it's too easy. It doesn't make sense. I feel like I'm wasting my time, and I'm I'm in like grade school." And we literally went into the principal's office, and she said, now they're going to ask you, why are you not doing your work? I said, okay, cool. He actually said, why are you not doing work? I said, because it's stupid. It's easy. He said, well, if it's that easy, just do it. So I've always been that type. If you challenge me, I, I I have to not only rise to the challenge, I have to exceed the expectations.
1: Did you start doing your homework?
0: Yeah, I did it because then it it, it became more so – I found a way to make it more uh, a competitive nature in me. So then it wasn't me doing my work. It was me being better than everybody else in the class. I'm going to win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to win.
1: Um, when you're, Were you aware and awake when they, did you know they thought you were going to die?
0: Um, I didn't know until uh, I started the aspect of me actually gaining awareness and consciousness. You know, like because for a while, you know, I was heavily sedated. Um, it was so many aspects of the, of the situation. Like my, my, my temperature degree, I don't know necessarily what it is, where you reach a certain temperature, you overheat and you die. I was like one degree below that. So they had me in a, a cooling room that was blowing cooling air, freezing cold air, and then they had a cooling blanket on top of me. So I was heavily sedated, you know, but I'm still shivering in the rooms. It was just so much going on. But when I actually came to and start having an awareness, you know, um, I start hearing conversations. You know, and I think that's one of the things that that a lot of people end up doing is you hear conversations of what people are saying about you and you, you got a choice to make. Right. Yeah, I hear this. I can either take that as truth or I can figure out how I can take that and manipulate that to win in this process. Right. So it was one of those situations like. Wow, because I never considered a moment where I would almost be out of here. It was never thought. So to be faced with the reality that life was almost over for me, it was a different revolutionary experience and then I start considering things even more so. Life gets serious. Yeah.
1: So when you say you're a purpose pusher.
0: Yes. What's that mean? So I I have made it my intentional goal to make sure that people are being purposeful and walking in purpose. Because the opposite of being purposeful is being lackadaisical. And I lived in a space where, I'll get to it. Ah, it's okay. I got that. I, I'll do it tomorrow. It was stuff that was easy, so I didn't really apply myself. But then when you realize how fragile life is, and you get to that point you say, man, I was taking so much for granted.
1: So what do we do with people that are in our lives that you have an opportunity to impact that don't go through that wife or death moment, Yeah, but they're still approaching life the way you were before. How yeah. do you get them to wake up?
0: So, I think everything happens through either lived experience or learned experience, right? Um, all reality is adopted reality. It's the reality that you adopt. That's how you can put two people in the same situation, same home, same parents, same schooling, same love, same, and have two completely different outcomes. It's the reality that you adopt, right? So, it's one, Having people who sort of approach life like, oh, I'll get to it, when you hear, because you you, you only operate to the level of your exposure, right? So when you hear stories of like things that have happened to people, or you expose yourself, or you're around certain people, it's, it's really almost impossible to grow in an effective way when you're surrounded by people who only cultivate the present version of you. I always say, you need future friends people who are, who are future-focused, who can look to where you are now but having an awareness as to where you're headed so they won't let you settle for here.
1: All right, so it's important that we surround ourselves with the right people. Yes, but absolutely. what about all those people from the wife that we don't want to live anymore? Yeah. When we forget about where we came from. Yeah. What do we do with those people that care about us or we care about them? Can you live in both worlds?
0: So... I feel like you you can't necessarily you can live in both worlds, but you can't thrive in both worlds. Once you start splitting yourself to say, okay, I'm gonna be over here, then I'm gonna be over here, I can't fully get myself to anything. So that's how we get the people who are um jack of all trades master of none. Right? Now the the flip side of this, the rest of that quote says, you know, but is it better to be a jack of all trades? you know, actually, but in a master of none. So, but it's in the space of understanding that I, I have to come to a, a point in a position where I have to make a choice for me to where purpose becomes important to me, right? I can't do anything with anybody who, I can try to give you all the motivational tactics in the world. I can give you all of the insight. I can give you all of the wisdom. I can give you numbers, statistics. I can show you based on your history and the people that you're around and show you people who are thriving in your same situations. I can give you all of that. But if you don't want it, I can't want it for you.
1: Did you learn all this?
0: Yes. I learned all of it through my, my own lived experiences, but I was more so of the one, I don't have to see it for myself if you tell me it's a dog outside this door rabbit dog running around biting people I don't have to go out there to see it (laughs) I'm gonna take your word for it (laughs) so so being around uh uh, people and situations to where I was always a sponge because I wanted to learn because when you when you're motivated to win you you're more so focused on processes and strategies how can I win how can i be effective here so i always had that sort of innate behavior in me that was driven me or driving me to be the the the, the version of me that was always thriving so that's what i think for me um having both that desire and my lived experiences only heightened it even more right and then you know i grew up in a single parent household you know so i i i had an extra motivation there too you know, I wanted to be able to take care of my mother. wanted to be able to take take care of my family. Um, you
1: know what those stats are about being raised in a single-parent household, right?
0: Yeah, about, I'm familiar with them.
1: About that if you listen to what they are because they're stacked against kids. Yeah, absolutely. Kids, but you're not supposed to be sitting here.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So how? Well, one, I feel like that I, I live by a different creed because I believe in heavily in the power of faith. In, in what I stand on. And I know that that I within myself can accomplish anything, but it's my faith, it's my belief, it's trusting in God and knowing that whatever is going to be for me will be, it sort of releases a level of anxiety or anxiousness because I feel like anxiety comes into place when I take ownership of my direction or I need to, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take ownership of the timing. You know, like, I feel like it needs to happen here, happen this way, and if it doesn't go this way, then my life isn't isn't thriving, and I'm not in a space where I'm operating at my highest potential, but I think everything comes back down to a foundation of faith. Whatever you believe, either you believe in your ability to accomplish your goal, you believe in the fact that that you were created on purpose, with purpose, and for purpose. If you get to a place where you are 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 unable to believe in anything, then that's that danger zone. Because then you're now susceptible to the labels that people put on you. You're susceptible to your environment. You're susceptible to your friends. You're susceptible to uh, the things that have been passed down in your bloodline. Okay, well, my my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, all of them were alcoholics, so I guess I'm supposed to be. And we don't even understand how much power we have in our words. Like, being able to literally shape your thoughts, because everything starts with a thought. I call it the tea party, right? Starts in a thought, filters down into your emotions, comes out into your actions. Everything starts with a thought. So being able to control my thoughts will then be able to dictate my emotions, and then I can control my output.
1: That's a perfect description of emotional intelligence. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. There's these terms that were so often are in front of us now. Yeah. Social media and books. And if you don't know what it is and you're not a reader, if you're not someone who wants to educate your mind, you're like, oh, man, what is that? Yeah, they keep talking about this self-awareness thing, this emotional intelligence. Yeah, it's knowing that at some level you can control your emotions
0: and thoughts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the way that you do that, the main way that you do that are by the words that you speak. It's impossible to speak one thing and think something contrary simultaneously.
1: Yeah, it's, it's the thing you speak is what you feel about yourself and think about yourself, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So there were times even, and I'm not saying like I always had this mastered, mm-hmm. right? I just was willing to apply some strategy. So there were times where I would write down certain declarations or affirmations and stick them up in different parts of my home even on my bathroom mirror. And the rule was, whenever you entered this room, you had to say what was on that note, even if I didn't feel it. So if I get in there and the sticky note says, you know, I'm called to greatness and will accomplish great things. There were days where I walked in and said, all right, I'm a called to greatness, but I'm accomplished great things. Even me not feeling it, it's training my mind to think on that level. So, so, being able to consistently control my dialogue then helps shape my thoughts and everything comes out through that aspect. And we so much throw away thoughts, throw away moments. And that's one of the things even like, and and I talk about this in a book, is there are so much of time that we throw away because we have the arrogance in believing that I have more of it. And getting to that place to where it say, okay, if, and we hear those questions all the time. If you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? What would you do? If I had 24 hours to live? <laughs> oh, so much I would do. <laughs> <laughs> so much I would do. <laughs> so, so we hear it all the time. Yeah, oh, yeah, so you hear it all the time, and it's like, uh, yeah, but I don't have 24 hours to live. But I got 24 know, years. But we may. I got 50, but you never know. And when you live in that space of I never know, then I approach the day different.
1: That that connects with me on um, a sense of urgency that yes. I try to feel in my life every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I remove the anxiety from it. Yeah, right. I'm not worried about what could happen. That's yes. where so many people have anxiety. They're worried about what could happen, and but I want to take a sense of urgency around everything I do. Yes, right. It's the room you walk into and to introduce yourself. It's if there's ten things to do, get busy doing one of them. It's only going to leave nine left. Exactly. Um, I think that connects with me about the 24 hours because. A lot of people may think about, hey, if I've got 24 hours to live, what do I do? Just the thought of that. Mm-hmm. So my mind goes to a place, whatever you do, do it with a sense of urgency. Yes. I'm going to accomplish more. Yes. I'm not trying to put the words in your mouth.
0: But no. I to- So one of, my, one of my mantras is give everything you got to everything you do. There you go. Everything. If it's mopping the floor, if it's folding clothes, if it's speaking in front of 20,000 people, same energy.
1: Have you spoken in front of 20,000 yet?
0: I've spoken in front of 15. How'd that feel? It felt great. It felt awesome. Because not even from the standpoint of, I get a different high, right? The, The stages, the lights, the glitz, the glamour, that's cool, right? But seeing impact in people, that's what I really get a rise out of. When I can see people come and they come and they share their stories of, man, this changed my life. Like, I was literally on the verge, and I've had these conversations, I was literally on the verge of committing suicide. And these moments saved my life. Like, that for me, that's everything. Because, you know, people, there's a lot of fanfare in in aspects of, of everything that we do. But if you know anything about fans and fanatics, I'm an avid sports fan, they flip on you like that. So if you get caught up on the cheers and that is your sense of motivation, there will also be the sense of despair when they turn the booze. Well,
1: the hecklers are going to mess you up then, aren't they? Oh, absolutely.
0: So you got to, there has to be a different level of coming back to that faith and foundation. What am I here for? Because if I'm here to get on the stage in front of 15,000 people, then I won't give the same energy when I'm in front of 5. So if I can't give the same energy in front of 5, 10, 20, 100, 1000, then I'm not ready for the 15,000.
1: Where do we start to find our our purpose? Right? If you're the purpose pusher. Yep. What's the what's the foundation of figuring that out? Because where I came from came from poor blue collar. Yeah. So many other people, yep. right? And what's weird about our country in the 70s and 80s, there wasn't as much money in our system. Yeah. So there were more people who were poor who didn't have things. Now poor is different. Yeah. Poor now is different. It's a mindset, but, it, you know, we're walking around with iPhones. Absolutely. And new clothes. And have plenty of food. Yeah. For the most part, right? Mm-hmm. And And if you're homeless, you can go somewhere and pretty much find somewhere to stay. Oh, yeah. Then there wasn't anybody coming to help you. Oh, yeah. Right? You could get food stamps like I remember those times. Mm-hmm. But so if that's a place that you come from. Yeah. Where do you even begin to figure out what purpose means in their life?
0: So, I think purpose can be defined in a lot of different ways or the discovery of purpose, right? So, one I always tell people let's trace back to childhood. What were some of the things that you were naturally passionate about or some of your natural giftings? What are some of the things that you had natural inclinations towards before somebody told you no to that what were some of the things that you just natural we hear about these child prodigies you know music and arts and but so many kids have a certain natural inclination but a parent or friend or somebody then put a label on them that changed the trajectory of their future So, you know, we were talking uh, earlier, we were talking about college and, you know, he was was talking about, well, I was going to go for a two year degree. But, you know, you're supposed to go and get a, You got to get a good degree, a four year. But what if this was the area that I was supposed to be in? So then now I take the label that was placed on me and that begins to shape my identity. Right. So we start we start going backwards. What are some of the things you're naturally gifted in? You know, uh, my son, he's naturally gifted in in architecture and building and creating. Uh, my wife and I, we bought him a, uh, this car that you can take. A, he's six years old. It's a screwdriver. You can unscrew it, take it apart, and put it together in different ways. He'll just do it for hours, finding different ways to create it. Right. If I don't recognize that and start cultivating it and I want to say, oh, you need to get out here and play football. You need to get out here and do some. I'm I'm all auto, auto, auto I'm now automatically reshaping his identity and how he even views the things that he likes, because as a child, nine times out of ten, you want to do things to please your parents, right? So if your parents applaud you for being on the football field, but not necessarily for creating a mock-up structure of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, then I'm going to lean towards football because that's where I get the love and affirmation from. So we start tracing backwards. What are some of those things that you're naturally gifted at? Right? So then after that, what are the things that you get aggravated the most about when they're done wrong? If you walk into a room today and say, for instance, you are naturally aggravated when music is done wrong. When you walk in and you hear bad music and the chord structure and the melodies and you, it starts to, literally frustrates you right that's because there's something there because someone else
1: you're a musician i bet
0: i am <laughs> that frustrates you doesn't it, it? does it does <laughs> i walk into a room when i hear it it's just and and here's the thing is that it doesn't have to be horrible to be wrong right so that's how you can start to gauge it if if, if i'm in a place where I'm naturally inclined to certain things. When it's off, I can sense it, right? There's a natural sense there. And and, and I start to, to to say, oh, if they would have did this, oh, I would have did it like this. If I'm So those are areas that are leading you, right? So you have your passions and you have the things that are, are, are like you can put into an aggravation or pain category. What are things that frustrate you the most? So there is many different layers that you start to find it in. And then through your growth and development and your evolution, it's the things that light you up. What are the things that you're most excited about? You know, I like to ask what I call those second and third tier questions. You know, a lot of times, you know, when we talk about wasting opportunities, we have conversations. Hey, how you doing? Nine times out of 10, you get what answer? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Fine, conversation over, yeah. right? But it's not until I start cracking that shell, we start going beneath the surface and, you know, we really start to find out the base of this iceberg and who we are well that's all the time that we have for today thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the when life happens podcast i hope that you found this episode both impactful and inspiring before you go like and share the show subscribe to it leave us a comment rate us and review us on all podcast platforms your engagement helps us reach more people and create a better show but the fun doesn't have to stop here If you're interested in more resources and tools of how to live a fulfilled life and step fully into your purpose or purchase your copy of the life-changing book, When Life Happens, head over to www.theofficialwilliamjackson.com for more information. Until next time, keep rising, keep thriving, and remember that no matter what life throws your way, you have everything inside of you you need to overcome and succeed when life happens.